Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. And we read of the death of King David. So it's a passage about death. And death just permeates the scriptures from the book of Bereshit, Genesis, all the way to the end of the Hebrew scriptures, as well as the Brit Hadashah. But I don't want to talk about death. But it's hard to avoid when you read this section. There's also a passage about a problem. Talia spoke about challenges and problems. Well, there are two big problems in this section. One is that Isaac, the son of Abraham, does not have a wife. And that problem needs to be solved. It's solved by his servant, Eliezer, who is sent to find a wife, whom, which will be uh, Rebekah. He finds her because of God's sovereignty and his all-pervading grace in answer to the prayers both of Abraham as well as Eliezer. In the case of the passage in the book of Kings, David is dying. And there's a problem there too. It's a problem with his son as well. Because David had promised Bathsheba and was told by God through the prophet Nathan that it would be Solomon who would reign on the throne of David in following him. But his other son, uh, what is it, Adonijah, I think it was, is vying for power and vying for the throne. And so the problem here is we've got to get Solomon on the throne. And David makes the proclamation that it does belong to Solomon. It's very interesting, too, because in the passage in Genesis, where in chapter 23, where we read about Sarah's death, we're told that she is 127 years old. Did you know that she's the only woman in all the Bible whose whose age is told to us when she died? That's meant to heighten her significance as the matriarch of matriarchs. The rabbis tell us, being 127, the 100 signifies that she lived a long life. The 20 signifies that she was as beautiful at 127 as she was when she was first betrothed to Abraham. And the 7 reveals to us that she was a righteous woman, as the number 7 is a, uh, a, a number of completion or perfection. I find that to be kind of interesting just to reflect upon. What strikes me about the passage are the place locations. There's a lot of things we could talk about in these three passages, but the places are interesting to me. David, as Talia told us, was finding a tomb for his wife, 
Sarah. I thought about Abraham's relationship to Sarah, and when you read of their relationship, you might think that they didn't have a very good relationship. You might think that Abraham didn't really love Sarah the way he ought to. After all, twice he said she was his sister rather than his wife. And when she had longed, desperately longed for a child, he was willing and ready to have relations with Hagar in order to have a child. But Sarah wanted to have that child. We might think that Abraham didn't really love his wife. Not only that, Genesis chapter 23 follows, of course, chapter 22. And chapter 22 is the offering of Isaac on Mount Moriah. It's like he took the promised child of Sarah and went to sacrifice her as an offering to the Lord. I don't think he told Sarah what was going on. The rabbis say it's the reason why in chapter 25 we read of Sarah's death. Because when he came back and told her what he had just done, you know, she just expired on the spot. The rabbis say that. I kind of like that story as well. But the love of Abraham shines through in this passage. Three or four times it says that he wept bitterly over the death of his wife. But what's really neat is the place where he provides a tomb for Sarah. It's Machpelah. The double cave is what the word means. In the city that would later be called Hebron means friend. And Abraham is the one character in scripture who's called the friend of God. It's near the Oaks of Mamre. And why is that important? Because when you look at Genesis chapter 18, it was at the, at the Oaks of Mamre that the three angelic beings appear to Abraham. And what do they say? This time next year, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. Abraham buries his wife at the very place where God had promised to Sarah, who desperately wanted a child, that she would have a child. And so at the place where God made that promise, she's buried. Abraham could have buried her anywhere. And Abraham was told, choose any of the tombs you want. But he chose the tomb at the spot where God promised her a child. Abraham loved Sarah deeply in order to specify it is that particular spot. There's another place setting in this section that's really kind of neat too. I'm not sure I've got this pronounced right, but it's Be'er Lachai Ro'i. The well of the God who sees, or the living God who sees. Scholars translate it differently. But what's neat about that place, it's the place where God always shows up in Scripture. It's the place where God met Hagar. And when when the Lord told Abraham to cast out Hagar and Ishmael from their midst... It was there that God met with Hagar and said, I'm going to take care of you and your son Ishmael will have many descendants. A great promise given to Hagar. It's there where Isaac often meditated and prayed. You see that in chapter 23 or 24. It's there where Sarah's tent is set up by Isaac where he brings Rebekah home. 
and marries her. It is at that very spot where Isaac prays for Rebekah that she would have a child when she, it appeared, she would not be able to conceive like Sarah. Machpelah was the place of promise as Sarah was promised a son. It would be Isaac. Be'er Lachai Ro'i was the place where Isaac prayed, where God met Hagar, and where God answered Isaac's prayer that his wife, Rebekah, would have a son. And when you look at the passage in Kings... It's the passage of God fulfilling his promise to David that he would have a son to sit on his throne forever. And that son would be Solomon. And so you can see the family lineage. Josh made reference to the importance of family. These passages show the importance of family and family dynamics. And the passage shows of God's concern for the family that he has chosen, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and it will go to kings, David and Solomon. Why was this family so important to God? Why did God care so much for Abraham that he would call him out from the land of the Chaldeans? Why would he care so much for Isaac that he would provide a son for him? Why would he care so much for David? Because it was through Abraham, Isaac, David, and Solomon that the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel, was to descend. This passage is more significant than we might first imagine. These are passages about the trustworthiness of the living God. It's a passage about the veracity of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that when he makes a promise, he keeps it. And he is faithful to his word. And when he told Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, that one through whom whom all the families of the earth would be blessed come from Abraham, come from Isaac, come from David, come from Solomon, and the king of Israel would be the means by which all the families of the earth would be blessed. There are many other symbols and signs that are related to God's trustworthiness and the coming of the Messiah. But here we're given a glimpse, even in the death of these key figures in Scripture, that even at the moment of death, there is great hope. Even at the time of great despair and trial and tragedy, there is hope. Because God is present in the lives of his people. And the hope and the light is seen in these passages that the ultimate descendant of these great men and women of God is Yeshua of Nazareth who would come as their descendant, as their family member. Who would correct all wrong would bring to an end death about which we, write, we read about here, and most importantly, fulfill all the promises that the scriptures speak of. That is why we embrace him, because he is the one who would come, who is a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and David and Solomon. These passages are meant 
to get our eyes on what God is up to and what God is doing. And what is he up to and what is he doing? He's seeking to save those who are lost. He seeks to come into our world that we might be restored unto him. Comes into our world that he might reverse death and give us life. My prayer is that you do not miss the significance of the passages that Talia read, that were translated, and about which she had spoken. These passages are greater than what initially meets the eye. And they are passages that are meant to stir our souls in trust and in faith to the living God who alone can be trusted. The living God who alone keeps his word. The living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who sent forth the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of David, the son of Solomon, that we might have life and have it most abundantly. I pray that each and every one of us in this room would find him to be that life for us. I pray you would find him to be that life for you. All of these individuals died without seeing the fullness of the promise. In fact, Abraham was given all of this land and the only land he ever owns is a cave in which he places his wife. There's no other place that he owns, but Abraham bought it because he was making a statement This is my home. No going back to Haran. No going back to Chaldea. This is my home that the Lord has given to me. And I'm placing my wife, as it were, as a down payment, an expression of faith, that this is where we will meet out the rest of our lives. And that's sort of the claim we need to make as well. That we will stake our lives on that descendant of Abraham, Isaac, David, and Solomon. We will not go back, but we will go forward in faith and trust in the one that the Lord promised to send. And if you've never opened your heart to him, I pray that you will. And if you have, I pray that you will walk in faith and in trust in him, no matter how dark the world around us may look. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time of celebration. We thank you, Lord, for Talia's glorious and excellent presentation to us. It was a joy to hear her recite your word. It was a joy to hear her explain its meaning and its significance for her. And it is a joy to be with her and her family and extended family and friends to celebrate you, the living God of our universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. 
That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.